0: This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views,
1: and debate from England's second tier.
0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by the wonderful George Smith. George, how are you doing, mate? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, good. Pretty, uh, pretty eventful weekend in our household. Uh, got engaged with my missus, and and it's been a fantastic weekend. And of course, only enlightened by uh, spending the next hour or so chatting championship action with you on my Sunday night. What a better way to round off the weekend! Oh, I, I feel honoured. Yes, you should. But no, it's been a great really weekend do. and uh, a good weekend of championship action for us to get into. Plenty going on, plenty to get stuck into, particularly on the uh, on the red half of of South Yorkshire. Lots going on there that we'll be discussing very shortly. As always, rem- a reminder to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, wherever you get your podcasts from. And make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24. And as always on the podcast, we'll be breaking down all the key talking points from the weekend's action, starting with events at Bramall Lane. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So George, pretty big news this week coming out of S2 where Sheffield United have sacked Slaviza Jekanovic, appointing Paul Heckingbottom. But not just your average managerial change, a five-year deal for Paul Heckingbottom to oversee football operations at Bramall Lane, a clear restructure of the club, going away from the head coach model into a more youthful approach. They want to use the the United World setup. and if you're not familiar with that, I would point you in the direction of Yorkshire Live, where our, our reporter Nathan Hemingham done plenty of good work about United World and how it all sets up. Very similar to the the system Manchester City have got for just a brief overview where the owners of Manchester City obviously own several clubs in the Manchester City group. They own one in um, Australia, one in France, I think, as well. Sheffield United very similar. The people that own Sheffield United have got a few clubs across the network. And they want Paul Heckenbottom to oversee a bit of a structural change where they're promoting youth, where they're looking into the academy and strengthening the academy. And those are all things that ultimately are sustainable and we, we would like to hear. But the drastic manner in which it was done, some of the eye-raising quotes that certainly came out on um, Thursday, was it, that the, this, this change all went through? Um, yeah, it was Thursday. Yes. Um, and especially coming off the back of Slaviza-Yukanovic's side winning on Tuesday night away at Reading. It's interesting. I think we probably should break this down. It, we should probably start with Jukanovic. And First of all, we have to say that he underachieved in the time he got with the squad he had. I think we've said that in a few times. He was 16th in the table before he was dismissed. And I think it's fair to say that that was an underachievement with the squad. However, we've said many times the recruitment in the summer was a mess in the fact that They didn't get anyone in properly till just before the window ended. They had a massive saga, of course, with the sale of Aaron Ramsdale. And then you come to the tactics side where Jekanovic clearly wanted to move away from the 3-5-2 system that Chris Wilder had built the squad in. They had no wingers, ultimately. And yet he wasn't given the resources or the capabilities to change any part of the squad to make it fit for a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Instantly, Paul Heckingbottom's come in um, and one of the first questions i got, tactics, yep, I'm going to go back to 3 5 which is interesting. And I think the, the the thing that frustrates, I think, a lot of Sheffield United fans that I've spoke to, I've got a lot of friends of Sheffield United fans, is the fact that why didn't they do this in the summer? And they were asked this, of course, at the press conference, and their response was, we didn't have the network and the structure in place ready to appoint Paul Heckenbottom and and go with this direct style. But it just makes very little sense in terms of the the direction and and the way they've done it. I don't necessarily hate the change of direction, You know, wanting to be more um, sustainable, wanting to promote youth, wanting to use a a manager that's worked with younger players. It's just the very bizarre way that's come around it. And ultimately, I've settled on the fact that it's not actually the decision I don't like. I don't trust the owners. And I don't trust the people that have made this decision ultimately for Sheffield United. And it also does Chris Wilder's stock a little bit of um, help in the fact that I think a few people were wondering how much of the issue was Chris Wilder throwing his toys out the primate, losing some autonomy. And how much was it the owners being difficult to work with? Well, now we've seen the second very, very good manager with high stock leave the club. He was sacked. And I think... This leaves a lot more questions than answers for me about the people running Sheffield United. and I think the big quote that upset a lot of fans was from the chairman, Yusuf. I'm going to try and pronounce this. I hope I don't get it wrong. uh, Gian Siracusa. I think that's my my best go at that. Where he said, Paul will be the club's football manager. I am told that is not a title that will go down well here. I don't care. I am not from Sheffield and I am not a football man. I am the chairman. Now, instantly, that raises alarm bells with anyone. And even if those things are true, they are not what you say to try and win over the fan base in which this this decision will not have gone down well, hasn't gone down well, to get rid of someone that's a two-time promotion winner in Slovisia Kanovic, someone who notoriously doesn't start brilliantly but gets stronger as the season goes on and gets promoted, to ditch him for the manager that was interim during the spell where Chris Wilder left and saw the club relegated, which is no fault of his, of course. But why didn't you appoint him in the summer if you felt so strongly? And then it also goes back to the fact, I think the board probably did want to appoint Paul Beck Heckenbottom in the summer, but probably bowed to pressure of the supporters in that. In which case, you would be worried about why is a board bowing to the pressure of fans if you think it's the right thing to do, rightly or wrongly. So for me, it's not where they've got to, it's the way they've gone around it that concerns me more. And also very, very stupid comments like that from the from the chairman who... Also, said you probably won't see me again as the face of the club. It's going to disappear into the distance along with Prince Abdullah, who owns the club. Very, very concerning for me. And that's more to do with off the field than on the field and Paul Beck Heckingbottom himself. George, what was your initial reaction?
1: Where to begin after that lot? I mean, where to begin? I can't even remember the There's So much to you go. I've just done a five minute gonna monologue on. You... I'm going to say, have you got any voice left after that? Mm. I, I could have I gone downstairs and made myself a drink and come back. Anyway, where to begin? Let's start, I think, with matters on the pitch with Slaviza Cikanovic in the fact that, yes, I would argue very much so that he did fail to get the best out of the crop of players that he had and the results were not good enough for for a team that had just come come down from the Premier League and got aspirations of bouncing back at the first attempt. Of course, the recruitment was, was very, very underwhelming in the summer they left it till very, very late on to bring any sort of business to the fore and obviously got the deals over the line for the last of I just want
0: to sorry I know I've um, had my, my say on this but just, just want to add because it's relevant to the point you're making um, in recent press conferences with the players Morgan Gibbs-White let slip that Sheffield United were actually in for him very early in the window and then disappeared so that shows again the scattergun and very strange recruitment process where they clearly had identified a player who has been their best player this season by the way and then didn't go and bring him into the last week of the window. Conor Hurahan was the same. He also sort of said that there was interest earlier in the summer and then the club disappeared and then suddenly appeared on deadline day. Just, again,
1: weird way of recruiting players. Right. Um, yeah, I would uh, would agree with that. It was very scattergun and very, very different. And obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of how the transfer deals work. Of a lot of clubs, there's obviously a lot more to it than just saying, look, I want to bring that player in, let's get it done. But obviously, it doesn't bode well for the club and how it looked overall. But for Slavisa Jokanovic, I think for a manager of his credentials, and it can kind often be the case when a manager goes into a new club or whatever, you you have got to work with the players that you've got. But for the style that he wanted to play, that he didn't have the players to suit that system. And as with any new manager, you want to want to implement your your own ways and get away from what the the previous manager's done. And it's it's very, very similar to what happened at Leeds United all those years and years and years ago when uh, Brian Clough went in there and replaced Don Revy. The players wanted to continue playing the Don Revy way. Brian Clough couldn't get the ideas across to to make that possible and get them playing how he wanted. I'm not saying that Sheffield United players have almost rebelled against what uh, Slewiz and kind of wanted to do, but it certainly seems like he couldn't get them playing the way he wanted them, but it doesn't escape the fact that he he didn't get the players that he wanted to bring in overall. He needed wide players, he needed wingers and he never got them. So, it's, it's in, on the, in terms of matters on the pitch, I do feel slightly sorry for Djikanovic, but at the same time, he didn't get the best out of the crop of players he got. As for situation at boardroom level, it's, to be quite honest, from the outside looking in, it looks a bit of a shambles, to be quite honest with you. I mean... The quote that you said earlier on about the chairman saying how he was not from Sheffield and he doesn't care is is quite damning for any Sheffield United supporter, and it's not what you want to hear. And the fact that, as you say, they've been unable to get a, a good relationship with arguably one of the best managers in the club's history in Chris Wilder and then they've practically driven out and sacked uh, a serial promotion winner who knows this league like the back of his hand is quite telling. And it does make you realise that a lot of owners can be incredibly difficult for managers to work with and it it is clear that when you're looking to bring a manager in, and it's quite a telling quote what Ryan Lowe, the Plymouth Argyle boss, said recently, for me, the owner and the chairman have got to be the right people and if Sheffield United's owners are coming out with quotes like that, it's bound to put future potential candidates for that job off. It really is because it's clear they've obviously gone for a promotion with from within with Paul Heckingbottom and, I think at this point, you've got to, you've got to wish Paul Heckingbottom well. He, his CV is he, not the best, but he's got to be given a chance. Every manager, as I say, has got to start somewhere. And Paul Heckingbottom did not amazingly well at Barnsley, but he did a, a steady job, I would argue. I don't think it was anything... Uh, I think he that's Higgins. a little bit unfair. Steady. I think he did he a very steady. good job at Barnsley, to be fair. he, he got them, They were about eighth in the table, I think, when Leeds him. He got them promoted him. and he won the uh, the what was formerly known as the Papa John's Trophy. They but, were about 8th um, in the table when you left. They were, and he did get them climbing the ladder. But once they got into the Championship, things weren't weren't magnificent. But at the same time, you do have to remember that Barnsley's squad was robbed of key players. But that's fair enough. That's, that's another story for another debate. But I do think, personally, if I was a Sheffield United supporter, having gone from Chris Wilder to Paul Heckingbottom in the space of, what, seven or eight months, I would be feeling incredibly underwhelmed and disappointed. But that's down to the owners. It's as simple as that. And the fact that they've obviously practically driven Chris Wilder away, he he lost the kind of the, uh, the hand on things that he wanted and understandably so after all what he'd achieved at the football club, he deserved a big say and we know what a good manager he is. And Djukanovic obviously has not been able to get along with them either. So for me, I just think it's potentially setting up for a recipe for, for destruction to be quite honest with you. I think it's a real mess It's not good and speaking to somebody who's reasonably well connected with Sheffield United over the weekend, he told me that in his own words, the owners are very dangerous people and that really does make you wonder what potentially could be down the line for Sheffield United because when you've got the chairman coming out and saying, you're not going to see much of me, you're not going to see much of Prince Abdullah either, it is quite worrying and who is going to be the man to take Sheffield United forward and oversee things on a day-to-day basis because ultimately... This football club, two years ago, was well on its way to become an established Premier League club, which was looking incredibly promising. They were playing good, entertaining football. Obviously, last season was was disastrous, but I think the lack of the, the support that they had from the stands was a big factor in that, and other certain aspects as well. But overall, Sheffield United were heading in a very good direction under Chris Wilder, and ultimately, the owners drove him out by him not being able to agree with them. And let's be honest. If you're driving out a manager that's dragged you from League One to the Premier League in literally two and a bit years, then there is quite clear that you've got a serious issue in running a football club. So I think I one do, of the other concerning sort of quotes that came out actually—you've just reminded
0: me—was the fact that they said that Paul Heckingbottom wouldn't be judged on results on a Saturday at three o'clock. He's the well, football manager. How can you not do that? I actually, the, exactly. one of the other concerning things is. Why have they given him such a long contract? I don't, if they'd done this, I'll well, tell you what now, if they'd done this in the summer for, and you kind of it hadn't happened on a two-year deal, I think I'll, it would have been more stomach, you know, a lot of people could have stomached that easier as Sheffield. I, know, I would ag- I would
1: agree. I would agree
0: with it's that. It's the la- lack of strategy that's very confusing it, and why give is. him such a long-term contract? Because that meet, sounds to me like it is a co- club trying to cut the cloth which I haven't got a problem with as long as it's done sustainably, but it Is that going to be at the cost of any sort of competitive balance? And are you basically... It gives the sense to me that they've appointed someone they think will be a bit of a yes man after hiring two managers that will challenge them. To give him a five-year contract makes to me sound like we don't think you'll challenge our decisions, so here's a long contract and your job's safe for a long
1: time. It's very, But it doesn't bode well for the club, does it, ultimately? No, not at all. And I think, obviously, a five-year contract... At this stage, the chances are, and I I could come back to to look very silly on this statement five years down the line, the chance of Paul Heckingbottom surviving that five-year contract is very, very slim. But on the flip side, if his job allegedly is not going to be judged on results, which is the ultimate aim and factor of a football club, any club in the world, then what does that potentially say about the ambition of the owners? They've already hinted that there's going to be no sort of big-level recruitment anymore, certainly not for the time being. No money so January. it does it does raise questions about what the owner's long term ambitions for a club are that, as I say, two years ago were potentially looking like they could push into Europe, and that is quite a statement, really, when you think about it. Mm. That they've gone from pushing and knocking on the door of the Europa League to now potentially, all right, and things could change very quickly. Paul Heckingbottom could surprise us all. They could they could be in a relegation dogfight. And who knows how bad things could get off the pitch when the owners are making statements like they have in the last few days. I mean, Paul Heckingbottom, for him, it's probably a very, very proud and privileged moment that the owners have thought they could go for him. But for a side that was in the Premier League two years ago, it's not exactly, and with respect to Paul Heckingbottom, and I do mean that, I don't think it's particularly inspiring for the football club as a whole and for the fans. So I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it all maps out. I think the... Matters off the pitch could be very concerning if the owners ultimately are reading between the lines seemingly don't care about the club with almost what they said the other day, then you do have to fear for Sheffield United moving forward because you can't you can't be run by a set of people that basically just want to turn the back on it, and the fact that he said "I'm not from Sheffield, I don't care is. Rather telling. It's damning. damning, To be to be quite honest, it's it's unbelievable. Prince Abdullah has been the face of the club, will no longer be the case. You won't see much of me either. So it does it does beg questions. It's very strange. It's quite worrying if you're a Sheffield United supporter. It really is, and it's also the fact that really, as far as I can remember, whether there's any difference in the actual running of the day-to-day job, and it's like never before in football have I come across the title officially of when. It like comes up on your TV, football manager instead of just mm. manager. It, Basically it, it means he's going to be
0: in charge of overall football operations. It, exactly. it seems, doesn't it? it just and it's worth saying long, that, Sheffield but... United fans have been very good. I have to say, of they seem to have separated the off field problems with the football itself. There was twenty five thousand at Bramall Lane today, and we will. We are, I mean, there are twenty three other teams that we need to talk about. And we're seventeen minutes in all, already, but <sighs> um, there was a game today that they won two 0 against Bristol City, and the will. I will say this. I do think for some players they are going to benefit from Paul Heckingbottom taking charge. None more yeah, so like, than the goal scorer today, Rhian Brewster. I think looking at the youth and sort of trying to go for that, I'm not against the approach. I'm against the, let's give Heckingbottom a five-year contract and also the weird quotes that came along with it. And if they'd done it in the summer, as I say, I would be more behind it. It's the weird scattergun it's, recruitment, it's not backing like your they, can of it, then jumping out of it and changing tack completely. It's almost like they've
1: wasted a few months. But the thing... what they didn't have the strange. bottle to do it. They didn't have it the bottle to do it in the summer. It wasn't as if they brought in a manager that was considered a bad manager. Everybody looked at it and thought, what an appointment, appointment that is. That is a yeah. really good move for Sheffield United just to, to rebuild. But he was, he was never given the backing to rebuild. I mean, out of that starting eleven against Bristol City today, how many of those players in that squad were new signings of the new manager? Three. Ben, ben Davis, Conor Hurahan and Morgan Gibbs-White. That was it. Mm-hmm. So it, it proves that he wasn't given the backing. And then you look on the bench. There was not a single new signing on that bench from the summer. So it proves that he was not given the backing that he was most probably promised when he was interviewed for the job and took the job on. I'm not even for with Sheffield United, even though they, were, they are packed to the rafters with good players on the day, they did need a freshen up and changes in parts. But it was quite clear towards the end of the transfer window it was probably not going to work out because he'd not got the players to play the system and I said it right at the very start before a ball had even been kicked that unless they got wingers in, United would not be challenging because it's not going to work in the way Jakanovic has, has played his football in, the, in his Championship career so it's the way it goes but for for Paul Bottom, a, a good start today it's a good win and like you say, Rian Brewster, it could do him the world of good. I think potentially having a British coach, I really do think that could work because we, we know what a good player well, he is. also main, mainly words. getting
0: the chance to play up front because they've exactly. gone back to 3-4-3. Three, three. He doesn't have to play on the wing anymore and I think that was one thing that did confuse some supporters. Absolutely. Looking just back, Let's look let's look at the football today. 3-4-3, three, three, Brewster up front um, and Beckinbottom is a good man manager especially and he's worked with young players, the under-23s and he has got the best from them. he got a good young core at Barnsley. He also gave a bit of a pathway for the young players at Leeds, it has to be said, Like of Calvin Phillips, he he was one that was really behind him and gave him a real foothold in that team. And certainly an encouraging performance today, Billy Sharp rounding the game off. And they were the better team, Morgan Gibbs-White again continues to be a bright player and a, a bright spark. Also want to say best wishes to John Fleck, of course, who was taken to hospital on Tuesday night. Um, he's out now and hopefully will be back on the field soon. But the result today does lead them. They're only six points off the top six, so they can get some momentum. If they can get that 25,000 fans um, and away support behind the team, which they, they seem to be today, despite the off-field issues, then they could still have a successful season. Now, we do have 23 more teams in the Championship, so we will move on now. Stoke City, nil. Blackburn, Rovers, one. Rovers are now up to fourth with the top three all-drawing. We're going to start properly unpacking the action um, at the Bet365 Stadium, up to fourth, as I said. And we have to give a lot of credit for Tony Mowbray to be fair, because last year, I was quite vocal and said he should have been sacked. And I stand by that, because he definitely underachieved with the squad he had available to him. However, he's gone completely the opposite way this season. They've stripped it back. Um, They released a lot of experienced players on high, high wages in the summer. Lewis Holtby, Amari Bell, Corey Evans, Stuart Downing all went. Adam Armstrong was sold. The money wasn't particularly reinvested, but he's brought through the young players like Jacob Davenport, John Buckley playing big roles. They've got um, Kandrin, who of course scored the winning goal on loan from Brighton. And obviously Ben Brereton-Diaz has took the mantle as star man. And he does deserve credit for the way he's, and generally speaking throughout his career, he's been very good at developing young players. And I think that is the right approach for Blackburn Rovers rather than having the big squad they had last year and they're up to fourth now and since they um since they lost 7-0 to Fulham they've taken 10 points from 12 games sorry 10, 10 points out of 12 um 10 points from four games and they've only conceded once really good win for them lovely finish for Kandra from for the goal and they're now top of that very very congested tight pack behind the uh, behind the top three
1: yeah, they are, and I mean, we had doubts, didn't we, towards the end of last season about the way Blackburn were possibly gonna gonna go under Tony Mowbray. But like you say, he he's come out fighting this season. And to be honest with you, I was for, by and large I was impressed by Blackburn last season, but I thought there was more to give. I thought um, they massively but, underachieved as I've but, said many times so far this season. Like I say, like I said, probably only last week or maybe the week before. So as I say, apart from the apart from the Fulham defeat. Blackburn have only, uh, only lost the other four games that they've lost by one goal. So even the games they've not lost, they've been in. And I think for me, the, the telling factor is they, are, they score a lot of goals. And that's the thing, particularly at home. They've scored 24 goals this season in 11 home games. And I mean, they know how to put teams away and bury them. I mean, they put five past Cardiff, four past Peterborough, three past Sheffield United. And I think for me, amongst all of those achievements, those victories, I think going to Stoke, who have been on a good run of late and winning 1-0, shows that they've got the credentials and the quality to, to get those victories. And the win on Saturday could have easily been more than one. They had several good chances either side of half-time. And it, For me, it shows that they are certainly one to watch this season in what is a wide-open playoff race. Not many teams, for me, I think, can boast a, a better crop of attacking talent than Blackburn, to be quite fair. Sam Gallagher is always a threat. Tyrese Dolan, I'm a big fan of. really think he's going to be some player in the future. And obviously... The main man, Ben Brereton-Diaz, although he didn't score yesterday, first time he'd not scored away from home for quite some time, uh, still caused havoc and was a real real thorn in Stoke City's side. So it shows that they've got quality all over the pitch, certainly in forward areas. And Tony Mowbray deserves credit to that for, for piecing it together. Yeah, he's spent quite a bit of money in the time he's been in charge. But let's not forget, Tony Mowbray had to manage this club in League One. They've had to work their way back up. And me and you... Being at our age, we'll always remember as in our childhood of Blackburn being a Premier League team when they had the likes of Benny McCarthy and Morton Gamps Pedersen. So, realistically, they've been out of the Premier League a long time and they are, they are a big football club. And it just makes you wonder this season with how wide open this playoff race is, is becoming could, could they be genuine candidates to get back to the Premier League? For me, I think where the way the form book is going at the minute for the 24 Championship clubs, I think they've certainly got a good chance. They seem to be the informed packet of the of the playoff chasing sides, and like I say, they've got goals in abundance across that front line. If if those three are fit and firing, the chances are Blackburn more often than not are going to outscore the opposition. And furthermore, they've kept back to back clean sheets now. They've only conceded one goal in the last three. It's it's seemingly being worked on correctly in both boxes, and that's a really important factor. But I think maybe, possibly, we owe an apology to Tony Mowbray. Like you say, he has changed things this season. I don't think we do. I think See the comments we made well. at the time were fair. I stand by them. I thought he under,
0: underachieved at the time and I think he's overachieving he's now, so I'll praise achieved. him. I, uh, I yeah. um, gave him a last year and I'll give him big praise this season fair because enough. it's a different set of circumstances.
1: But just looking at Blackburn's upcoming games and it's a, it's a chance to continue to put the put the foot to the floor. I'll tell you, they've got Two home games in the next three, either side of a what will be a very difficult trip to Bournemouth. But with Bournemouth seemingly stuttering a little bit at the minute, I think Blackburn will go there and fancy their chances a week on Saturday. So, for me, I think Blackburn at the minute are the team to watch. They're banging form, they're scoring goals, they're, they're not leaking too many. So, realistically, you take out that 7-0 defeat to Fulham and the last month and a half or so have been absolutely superb. They've only lost one in their last seven games. And let's be honest, if that was a 1-0 defeat to Fulham, said, we'd all be sitting here probably waxing lyrical club them even more. 7-0. Yeah, it happened. It was a bad day at the office. It could have quite easily damaged them, their mentality and their frame of mind. But seemingly, it's made them stronger and seen them come out fighting because they've taken 10 from 12 in the four games that have followed. So, well done to Tony Mowbray. Well done to the players. For me, Blackbird of the minute, the team to watch.
0: Yeah, they're doing certainly doing well. Stoke have had a, a bit of a difficult week, back to back one nil defeats for them, um, and yeah, I'd say two defeats in a row for them. First start for Tyrese Campbell, which was nice to see at least. But um, yeah, they'll want to, they want to, that. they'll want to improve definitely going into the next few weeks. Probably the game of the weekend, but a game that doesn't really have a great deal riding on it was Swansea two, Reading three. So I bumped it up the list despite that because cracking game and Reading's first win over Swansea since two thousand and eight. Um, Andy wow. Carroll's certainly rolling back the years with, with his, his first away goal since April 2017. Um, and you can see how, if they can keep him fit ready, it could be a great platform for them to build off with the the, the abundance of attacking midfielders they've got that are very talented and technically gifted. Swift, Ajaria, um, Ton Deli bashir is probably the star man in this game as well. Havilovic as well. You, when you throw them all in the mix, you can see how that could work nicely. Um, Good play from Deli Bashir, as I say, he was probably the star man to to get the equaliser immediately after uh, James Patterson's opener. And then Andy Carroll rolling back the years. Lovely first touch to bring it into his path and kill it dead. Cut inside, nice little uh, heel flick and uh, a resounding finish. And we shouldn't forget or downplay Reading's injuries. We probably should give Paranovic more credit is what I'm trying to say, because they've had horrific injuries, the worst in the league comfortably. They've had... Off the field problems where they've had a points deduction, and they're under an embargo all summer. And you have to say for the players they brought in, their recruitment's been fantastic, really, in terms of a success rate. Drinkwater's been really good, scored the winning goal. Deli Bashiru's been excellent. Um, they've struggled without Lucas Shaw up front. They brought in Andy Carroll, good start to his career. Obviously, plenty to go, and it's a short-term deal. Scott Dan's been very good since coming in at centre back. They've coped with an injury to their number one goalkeeper, Raphael. And now Luke Southwood's taken the jersey himself. So they've had a changing goalkeeper. And Baba Rahman's been really good. And he made a goal-saving uh, intervention right at the end, which would have given Swansea an equaliser. So their success rate in terms of signings, to say the problems they had in the summer, has been excellent, really. And players where they've taken a chance on them and been able to revitalise their career in the in the sense of drink water and, and maybe Scott down to a lesser extent. So you've got to give Reading a lot of credit
1: for that and they carry a lot of threat going forward. And this
0: is a really, really good win for them.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I only said probably, I don't know, five or six weeks ago that realistically, when that Reading squad is fully fit and you break it down player for player, position for position, it's not a bad side. It really isn't a bad side. There are a lot of very good individual players in that team when they're fitting on song. And I think, like you say, for the for the circumstances they've had to had to run through this season with off-field issues and injuries. They haven't done that bad. Let's be honest. I mean, they've overachieved really for for the circumstances. They're, they're currently only four points above the drop uh, because of that points deduction. But obviously, if they got the six back that they'd lost, they'd be bumped up the league. They've won. they they've they've, won, they've lost half of their games, admittedly, but they they've comfortably outscored the teams in and around them in the table at the minute. So it proves that they've got goals in the locker. And like you say, they've, they've got some very experienced players who, for the situation they're in, could could prove to be very, very beneficial in the long run this season. I think Andy Carroll was, was pretend, well, not potentially, it was, it was a huge gamble to bring him in because he's often been a player that obviously has spent a lot of time on the treatment table throughout his career. Um, he's 32 now, he'll most likely to be, be on a decent wage. So it was a gamble, but from what I saw on Saturday at Swansea, it certainly looks like it one that might, Early days pay off because I was very impressed by by his all round game and I think he's got the ability to to bring others in with his size and his stature and and be a real handful for Reading because obviously they've they've missed the outlet up front with Lucas Schwab being sidelined and George Pushkas just being a total flop so they they have missed that and like you say they've been forced to change goalkeeper but even though they've at times been hit and miss there's been quite a lot to like about Reading. That's the thing. There has been a lot to light about them. Um, and like you say, going to a place like Swansea, who have been doing reasonably well of late, it's a really, really good result for them. And um, three different scorers Tom Deli Bashiru, he, he's beginning to add goals to his game now. I think he's actually Reading's second top scorer now behind John Swift. Yeah, he's hit got the post. He's the, the winner, of course, as well, which Dreamwater um, then turned in. He he looks really, really good. And it's, it's promising that, like I say, Reading have got a mixed bag there. They've got players who have vastly experienced, such as your Liam Moores, your Andy Carrolls, your Drinkwaters, your Scott Dans, your Junior Hoylets. Uh, and then you obviously got the youngsters that are, that are on the way up, like your Delhi Bashiru's. So there is certainly a potential for, for Reading with time to to build on something quite quite impressive. I think sticking with Velko Paunovic is what they need to do. I mean, since he came in at the start of last season, when he was a complete unknown quantity, I think they've done... A very good job. They weren't a million miles away from the playoffs I seen At the start of last season, they were, the, they were the surprise package. They were quite quite, I don't know, almost like the, the surprise package at the start of the season by running at the top of the tail for quite a few weeks at the beginning. So I think Volko Paunovic, considering what he's had to put up with, he's doing a very good job overall and, and full credit to them. And that win at Swansea on Saturday epitomises that they are capable of going to places like that and getting a result because they've They've been reasonably good away from home in recent weeks. I mean, they've won at Fulham. They, they won at Birmingham not that long ago. So they've proven that they can do a job. It's just for me, they've got, they've got to try and sort that home format. They've not been brilliant at home this season. So if they can get that right, I think they'll soon start climbing the ladder again because I do think there is a lot of potential and promise in that Reading side, especially when they've got more players back fit. Yeah, absolutely. For Swansea, Jamie
0: Patterson continues to, to impress. He's been a really, really good sign-in. Another goal for him here. That's eight goals and four assists in 20 matches for him, which is a phenomenal return for a free transfer without any pre season as well. So, really what good game at the but, summer for me. Yeah, yeah. It was when you look at the output, we knew he was capable of this, but the consistency wasn't always there at Bristol him, him City. And, and him and Joel
1: Perrault have formed a formidable partnership. I think Ethan Laird, like you can throw into that as well. 26 goals directly contributed between them two now mm. for. For a combined sign of around a £1 million, pounds. it's it's remarkable, really. And, and full credit, I suppose, got to go to Russell Martin for, for making them bond so quickly. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Hull City 2, Millwall 1, four wins in a row for the Tigers now and up to 19th. They started this run, George, three points adrift of safety. They're now five points clear. Um, a, a sensational run of form and one that I don't think any of us really saw coming either. Big win in midweek against Cardiff, at Cardiff as well. And for me, one of the players that's obviously coincided with with the return of form is George Honeyman, of course, who scored three goals in this period of time. Really big player for them last year, won their player of the year in League One. I think he was the League One player of the year as well, to be fair. Um, and his return to form has coincided with this good run. Now, you need just more than that. I've been particularly um, given a lot of praise for the decision from Grant McCann sticking his neck on the line to change goalkeepers. I think that was the right decision. I said that last week. And the 3-5-2 is working well for them. And Ryan Longman continues to have an impact at left wing-back. he scored the winner in this one. And it was a game that, again, on the margins and from what we saw, I think Hull City deserved to win. Um, And the way they've catapulted themselves back out of trouble after looking seemingly destined for relegation earlier in the season and Grant McCann under a lot of pressure. Again, they deserved the, the criticism of the time. And Grant McCann deserves the praise. Now, and I've been very impressed with some of the decisions he's made, some of the tactical tweaks, and Honeyman coming back has certainly helped them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's been a, I don't know, it's almost like a new signing really, in a sense. He's been that much of a miss for them and he's come back in and he's been so influential in these four victories that they've picked up with, I think it's three goals and an assist. He, he's been seemingly the missing link that they've been crying out for and he was so key in that promotion. I think the big thing for Simon them as well yeah. is the fact we know they've struggled for goals and he gets in the box first of all so he just he adds does. another body as much he as does. anything. He 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 makes them runs from deep and gets in there and just like you said it proved it with the goal he scored on Saturday with that header it just literally basically just hit him in the face he'd made that much of a burst to get in there and there was that much pace on the ball he literally just had to stick his forehead on it and in it went it was a a typical trademark George Honeyman run, but it's what he does, and it's what is makes him so effective for Hull. But I think you've got to give huge credit to Grant McCann because he's obviously he's had to put up with a hell of a lot of criticism, and to have to have put together four wins in a row in the Championship, as we know, is is not an easy task. It really isn't, and the fact that they've done it with only one goal conceded in that run makes it all the more impressive. So it's it's hugely promising for Hull City, and let's their supporters have had to put up with a a lot of trouble in the last few years, certainly in this in this league. So it's really good for them that finally getting something to smile about, something to shout about and seemingly performances that they can be proud of again because Hull, with respect, they've not been playing particularly good football, certainly this season anyway, in the, back in the Championship, they've had to put up with a lot of a lot of problems off the field with ongoing speculation and things like that. So it must be nice that the players have finally got the limelight to shine on them for the right reasons because they, they, they have struggled. There has been some torrid runs of form but they are seemingly now putting things right. But I think you've got to go back towards prior to this winning run. In the two games that preceded it, they lost 1-0 to Coventry and 1-0 to West Brom. The West Brom game, they were very much in. They were improved performances, uh, weren't they? They were. That's the thing. They they were seemingly heading in the right direction before they got onto this winning run. So they've almost been on the right track now for the best part of six or seven weeks. So I do think the Hull have been gearing up to this. And I think at times, you, you've got to have things go your way and a little bit of Lady luck and I think finally they're getting it, and the rub of the green is going their way, but they fully deserve the wins that they've put together, and I mean, yeah, they, you can question that they probably they were up against the Paul Barnsley side, they were up against the Birmingham side, who have been hit and miss, Cardiff side, that have been overall poor this season, Millwall, we know. There were they games they wouldn't have, to have won six them. weeks ago, though, weren't they? Exactly, and that's the thing, they have they've found a way to win them, and they've stepped it up and as I say, a big credit to Grant McCann because he's had to put up with a lot of flack, a lot of stick, deservedly so at times, but you've got to give him praise when things are going well and for Hull City right now it is going well and as I say, four wins and are in the Championship, it's its its not an easy thing to achieve whoever you are.
0: No, no mean feat and as I say, Hull, Hull certainly uh, projecting their way out of the bottom three and uh, hopefully into mid-table from their supporters' point of view. Luton Town 1, Cardiff City 2, another club trying to catapult themselves into mid-tables. Cardiff, another good result for Steve Morrison, this. Um, and after losing in midweek to Hull, who we've just touched on, good response for them. Finally, George, they have scored a goal in the first half for the first
1: time this season. Um, um... Only, only just, though. I'll, I'll be honest, I actually watched it Watched it on Saturday night on Quest. And actually, on first glance, before they showed a, a close-up replay, I actually wondered what the referee had given the goal for. I couldn't actually see the ball go anywhere near the goal. And it wasn't until I saw the replay, I thought, yeah, he did get that right. But yeah, there we absolutely. go. But yeah, the, the the statistic that they've dreaded is finally over at last. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I thought there was a
0: better balance to them going forward in this game. We sort of touched on um, the problems that they had last week when they won at Preston, um, going a little bit youthful in attack um, and changing it in the second half. And it worked better. This time it was Kiefer Moore and James Collins up front with, with Reuben Colwell in behind. That worked really nicely, I thought, um, with with um, you know, sort of two target men and, and one runner in behind. I thought that worked nicely. Lovely cross from Ryan Giles as well, which we've seen on plenty of occasions this season. For Sean Morrison to nod in at the back post, really good header from him, lovely ball from Giles to say, which we've come to expect. And I think the um I think they've just been. Benefited from fresh, fresh eyes, a little bit more attacking impetus, a little bit more um, throwing more bodies forward. Let's say playing Giles, for example, at left wing bout rather than the left wing. These little things help. Perry and G's been impressive in recent weeks as well, so he's benefiting from um, Steve Morrison's coaching setup. And it's another good win for Cardiff.
1: Yeah, it is absolutely. They've they've shown a new side to them, and obviously, you often get that bounce when a. When a new manager comes in, and we were a little bit critical of Cardiff's decision to go with Steve Morrison a few weeks ago, but he's had a he's had a pretty good start to life in the job, and there is signs of life in this Cardiff side. They are being a little bit more adventurous, and they are looking a bit better and a bit brighter. So I think you've got to give Steve Morrison credit for that. He'll be disappointed that they that they lost a hull in midweek. That that will be seen as a, as a poor result, a disappointing one, especially at home, but away from home. They're on a bit of a good run at the minute. They, and it all extends from that coming from behind from 3-0 down at Stoke to get a point in what was his first game in caretaker charge. And then he's guided them to wins at Preston and now at Luton. So it does seem like he is he is able to get a tune out of them. And I know we were a little bit critical of their decision to go for him. But as I often say, every manager's got to start somewhere. And seemingly, he's, he's had a good start. He seems to have got the players on board with the ideas and the thinking behind what he wants them to do. And at the end of the day, if, you, if you're if you winning games, then you, you're doing something right. And he's done that in the last two and a bit weeks with three wins in the last four games. So you've got to give full credit to him and, and to Carlos players as well because it's it's been a hard period for them. Obviously, when you lose that many games in a row, it's it's very difficult mentally to get up and go again. But they've had to and they've responded to the methods that they've been asked to deliver. And seemingly now, they are over that and heading in the right direction. So, you've got to give them credit. They still continue, obviously, to, to get the goals from crosses and headers, but if it's working for them, they're not going to care one bit. So, credit to them, credit to Steve Morrison. It seems like they're turning a corner and are heading in the right direction, but I do think that there is more to come from what remains a, a, a talented group of players.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Two more championship games to get through now. Huddersfield won at Middlesbrough 2, a first victory for Chris Wilder since taking over after defeat in midweek. Two fantastic goals, I have to say, and controversially, I actually enjoyed the first one more than the second one, even though the probably the skill of the second one, and certainly the the it's more eye catching, isn't it? But I love the build up, lovely footwork from Johnny House to evade his marker as he received the ball from the back. Louis O'Brien, I think it was that he, he sort of get fainted to turn it around the corner and then took it on his instep. Lovely um, driving run, then feeds it to. Um, as, as Isaiah Jones lovely cross across the box and uh, a great finish on Duncan Watmore really like that goal lovely team goal working the ball through the through the thirds, and then the eye-catching goal of course is the second one no look pass from Matt Crooks over the top for Watmore lovely dink over the goalkeeper and I like the balance of the Middlesbrough team as we're starting to see it take shape a few more players come back from injury as well back three of Dyke Steels, so Bamber is experiencing the heart of that back three Paddy McNair on the left-hand side of defence, where we know he's very comfortable, given how good he is on the ball. Mark Bowler and uh, Jones as wing-backs. And then a midfield for Ifhausen, and, um Tavernier and Crooks. And then, of course, uh, Spirat and, and Watmore lean the mine And two goals for Watmore as well, who I, I think is a very underrated player for the Championship. He seems like a very Chris Wilder player as well. Someone that can score goals, but equally works the socks off. So it doesn't surprise me to see him thriving, really. And if you give him the service, he'll score goals. And two best two goals of the weekend for me, comfortably, from Middlesbrough. Real good quality in those finishes.
1: Yeah, they were really well-crafted and well-taken by young Duncan Watmore. And I think, to be honest with you, for Middlesbrough, it's been it's been coming in the first few games that Chris Wilder's had. I mean, they should have beaten Millwall last weekend. That was a game they really deserved to get a victory from. Yep. So they, they, they've been gearing up to it, and Huddersfield was not going to be an easy place to go. They've been doing very well at home of late, not conceding any sort, any uh, any goals, and been winning games and looking really strong. So to so have gone there and got a got a good solid away victory, it is a really really good result for Chris Wilder and one that you think Middlesbrough will kick on from. But I think on Duncan Watmore, I mean, obviously Neil Warnock brought him in when he was a bit kind of out in the cold with. With nothing really to go at. And for me, I think he's been one of Middlesbrough's best players over the last twelve months or so. He's hmm. he's delivered the goods when he's been called upon. And like you say, he's a very Chris Wilder type player, where in the fact that he will do a, a lot of work for the team as well as his main duty of scoring goals, and he proved that on Saturday afternoon. So for me, I think he could be a, a key player under Chris Wilder moving forward. Obviously, you've got the Sparar and Tavernier who are gonna provide that little bit of magic. And then I think what what more, although maybe not as gifted. He's more of an all-round team player that will score goals if chances present themselves. But like you say, he's getting players back Chris Wilder. He's got experienced heads at the back to to build a solid foundation on. And he's got the likes of Onel Hernandez and Nick Pezu who came off the bench on Saturday who can obviously sprinkle their magic if they require. So I think obviously it's going to be a long-term project for Chris Wilder. I think he will want to shape his squad to how he, how he wants it. And absolutely fair enough. Any manager wants to put their own stamp on proceedings. But from what I've seen so far with what he's had to work with, not that it's come as any great surprise, I thought it would make an impact immediately. I think they've, they've been quite impressive and quite confident that maybe, you know, with a few more signings, maybe in January to, to add to that, what's to say that they can't have a run for the top six this season? Only six points off, I think, at this moment in time in what is a very, very wide open race. A lot of football to be played. But for me, they've got just as good a chance as anybody.
0: Absolutely. And I think Chris Wilder hit the note uh, hit the right note in his post-match press conference that he said they've had three good performances, but you can't keep performing well and not winning. Obviously, he put them to, that to bed now. And as you say, Huddersfield have been really impressive. Six wins in the last eight home games prior to the weekend. So they've been impressive at home. So no mean feat to go and win at the John Smith Stadium. Finally, Birmingham City won Blackpool nil. A game which I would say, on the balance, Blackpool had large periods of dominance for. Um, Sarsich made a really big save from Josh Bowler at 0-0 controversy over a penalty not awarded Sanderson on uh, Shane Lavery in the penalty area I, I I probably don't think it is a penalty because I feel like watching the replay I feel like Lavery's dropped his leg before the contacts even come in so it's not I'm quite a you, dive
1: but I'm glad you said that
0: because you agree or because you don't want the abuse. I'm in
1: the same opinion
0: yeah I think normally I would say it looks a Stonewall penalty on first viewing, but when you look at the replay, he sort of drops his leg before the challenge even comes in. And you also, the ball's miles out as well, he's he's overrun it. So normally I always think these sort of challenges are penalties, but I just think on the replay, I think he's waiting for the contact for too long and he's almost gone down before it comes. And the ball's so far out of play as well. So for me, I don't think it's a penalty. Um, got to give credit for Birmingham. the the, you know they've had a bit of an injury, well not an injury crisis, they've had a suspension crisis in the fact that Gary Gardner and Ryan Woods were suspended. So it meant a uh, a debut for Jordan James, who signed his first pro contract today, I believe, as well after after his debut yesterday. Uh, And he sort of assist, well he did assist it ultimately. The ball, his header was diverted home by Lukasz Jukovic for a late winner. Um, really good an important clean sheet for Birmingham starting to get a few players back fit as well with Pedersen coming back into defence which is good for them to see um, Blackpool probably feel a little bit hard done to not to come to come away with the game without any points George
1: Yeah I think so it was uh, for me a very not dominant but very impressive away, de- away display from Blackpool and Again, they've proven that they are not in the championship this season to make the numbers up. They're here to compete and, and to compete well, and they've done that by and large. I know the winds have dried up a little bit in recent weeks, but they've still been playing good football and, and getting reasonably good results as well. I mean, in the last in the two games that preceded Saturday's games, they'd they'd taken points off Swansea City and, and West Bromwich Albion, so it proves that they are up for the for the fight and fight with the best that this league's got to throw at them. So, yeah, it'll be disappointing that, the, that yesterday's result has resulted in uh, another game without a win. But the performances are there. That's the thing. And I think if you're a Blackpool fan, if you can accept that you're playing well, you're going to be happy with that. Because they've been on, a, obviously, a very difficult journey as a club in the last few years. They've got back into the Championship. And in the eyes of probably most people, they were tipped to be rock bottom and go straight back down. Uh, they're, they're showing no signs of that. They're, they're up for the fight. They're a really competitive team. And I've been impressed by what I've seen. And on another day, I think if that game against Birmingham is played again, they they probably win the game. So I don't think Neil Critchie can be too disheartened by what he's seen in the last few games at all, even though the wins have not been there. Uh, For Birmingham, a really big result for them and one that they needed. They've been, as I say, a bit hit and miss in the last few weeks. So it'll be important for them that they manage to get three points on the board. And young Jordan James looked quite bright and... He looks like he could be another star for the future from Birmingham's academy, so he'll be one to keep an eye on. But for, for Lee Bowyer, I suppose it's just a case of t- taking each game as it comes at the minute, because as I say, things have been a bit hit and misty. They won three on three on the bounce between the end of October and early November, then went three without a win. So they are a really hit and miss side, Birmingham. they're either really at it or really poor. So it's something I think Lee Bowyer's got to address. They've got to try and get the consistency levels right. But for for Birmingham, at the end of the day, it was a it was a good victory on on Saturday and one that they needed after after a few disappointing results, which only saw them score one goal in three games. Yeah, four uh,
0: four draws in the championship this weekend. The pick of the bunch was Bournemouth 2, Coventry. Two Jefferson Lermas red card changed this game. Bournemouth were two 0 up and relatively in control after a, a disappointing week prior to that, and then very disappointed to concede two late goals. Um, I have to say, I think Mark Travers probably contributed a little bit to this, certainly for both goals. You have to question his positioning perhaps a little bit for Todd Kane's equaliser, albeit it's definitely a cross and not a shot that's gone in. Um, Jane Anthony, absolute quality as well. He, he stood out. Lovely um, cross ultimately, which went in for the first, but it's a great ball in. And another assist for Philip Billing to make it 2-0 as well. So all three of the top three dropping points, none of them could take advantage. Um, and Bournemouth certainly will feel the most... Frustrated of those three, given they had a 2-0 lead and, and were in relative control before the red card. Preston won Fulham won. A really good week for Preston, no offence, to be fair, after they won it from behind in midweek. Battling back again, although it has to be said, Shed Evans' goal probably shouldn't have stood, given it twice ricocheted off an arm. Uh, first his head had been blocked by his own teammate's arm and then sort of hit him in him in the forearm and going in after that. So, slice of look for them, but probably one they deserve, Perhaps. And then two 0 nils with West Brom nil, Forest nil, and Peterborough nil, Barnsley nil, and Derby versus QPR is to be played on Monday night. We are recording the pod on Sunday night this week, so um, obviously we we will um, keep you covered on our social channels on that game tomorrow night. That rounds off this weekend's analysis. We're going to now move on to our shops and bankers. So George, um, a free week of Championship action, no midweek action to to look forward to, unfortunately, but another exciting slate of fixtures next
1: weekend. What have you got as your shock and your banker for this weekend? Well, it's, uh, as you say, there's some big games coming up this weekend, not least on Friday night Fulham versus Bournemouth. That's going to be an interesting one, but uh, I'm going to steer clear of that one for, for my shock and banker selection for this coming weekend. Um, but in terms of what I've gone with, in terms of my shock this weekend, I'm going to go, even if it, if it can be classed as a shock, not a lot, of, well, practically nothing between them in the table, I'm going to go for Coventry to beat West Brom. At uh, the Coventry City building site arena, Coventry, as we know, have been very good at home this season. West Brom really stuttering at the minute. They they are very out of sorts and struggling, not only for victories but for goals as well. So I'm going to go for for Coventry to win that one as my uh, shock. In terms of my banker this weekend, I'm gonna I'm gonna be brave and I'm gonna go with Sheffield United to win at Cardiff City. Got a that feeling brave. that the Blades might just pull off a surprise there and. I'd imagine after a turbulent few days off the pitch that the win on Sunday afternoon will have given them an almighty lift heading into that game. So I'm going to be brave and I'm going to go with Paul Heckingbottom to make it two wins from two.
0: Yeah, for my shock this week, I'm going to go for Hull City to win at Reading. Um, Hull, of course, on a four-game winning run, but Reading no slouches either. But I think the Tigers can continue that run against the Reading side that, as you say, said earlier in the pod, haven't been amazing at home. So Hull to win at Reading. And my banker, I'm going to go for Nottingham Forest to beat Peterborough at home. Forest, really difficult to beat at the moment. I think it's one defeat in 10 under Steve Cooper now. Really good away from home, but the form at the City ground could do with improving just a little bit. And I think they will do that with victory over a very leaky Peterborough side who haven't won in four games now. So, Forest to beat Peterborough is my banker and my shock is Hull to win at Reading. And that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and listening in your droves, as you always do. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast feed so you get our podcasts as soon as they go live every week. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24. You can also support this podcast through our Ko-Fi page, where you can make a one-off donation of the price of a cup of coffee to help towards our weekly and monthly costs to bring you championship content Thank you for tuning in. As always, have a great week and we'll catch you again very soon. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.